Hello and welcome to the third episode of Three Dumplings, a podcast from three Asian girls about the issues, concerns and absurdities of our lives. I'm writer Hannah Rose Yee and I'm here with my co-hosts, blogger Peony Lim Hi. and photographer Kit Lee. Hey. So today we're going to be talking about fashion. All three of us work in fashion and we've worked in fashion for many years. We live and breathe it. We love it. It's our, insert grown here, passion. (laughs) I hate that word, but in this case it's true. All that and yet we promise to keep this episode to less than the time it takes to have a shopping spree at Lane Crawford, the swanky department store in Hong Kong that we all adore. So I thought that we could start by talking a little bit about the Asian faces in the fashion world that we really admire and for me it's definitely Eva Chen who is now the head of fashion at Instagram but she was a magazine editor and I was first introduced to her when she was beauty and health director at Teen Vogue. I desperately dreamed of working at a magazine when I was a teenager and the columns that she wrote used to come with a little postage stamp picture of her face next to the column and there was never an Asian girl on the cover of that magazine. There weren't that many Asian girls inside the fashion shoots and the beauty editorials. But here was an Asian woman who was so successful. She was beauty director of this magazine and she was writing these fantastic stories. And I was so inspired. And she used to write about how she got into the industry, how she got her first job. And it all kind of helped me to basically learn about interning, about working my butt off, about starting a blog and trying to get a job at a magazine when I left university. Did you not love Devon? I was obsessed with Devon. Were you, Hannah? I loved Devon too. And, and I loved her more from her acting career. So in yeah. Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah. So she had a spillover like after. She had a very successful modeling career. And then her kind of breakout movie was Too Fast, Too Furious, right? We're talking about Devon Aoki here, just for anyone not as familiar with her cinematic oeuvre as us. <laughs> uh, she was so beautiful she was like a doll, doll face she? yeah. yeah she's yeah. into fast and she had kind of freckles as well mm-hmm. and she she doesn't look kind of like the generic asian girl that you think of now modeling right she had a quite almost a mixed race look about her and with like slightly more tanned skin and the freckles and the kind she dyed her hair so it was like this kind of slightly albany mm. tone as well but she's she got was this just, anime face isn't she is like a pointed heart-shaped chin but she's beautiful. Even it's today, always, she's still yeah. beautiful. And she's had a long career now. Yeah, anyone who wants to watch a really terrible movie from the 2000s can look out for Devon Aoki's DOA, uh, which I think stands for Dead on Arrival or something like that. But um, it's some really awful Charlie's Angels knockoff. And it's got Holly Valance in it. Who, oh, wowza. Who is Australian uh, from Neighbours, I'm pretty sure, Home and Away, one of the soaps. She, I think she even had like a music career in she the UK. She had a very successful music career, um, and I tell you, she was oh. a chart topper in Australia. Oh. But that movie is insane. And in one scene, I remember this so distinctly, a character throws a bra in the air <laughs> and then puts it on and it hook, and then by like wiggling her back, the bra like hooks itself closed on her back. So oh. that tells you everything you need to know about the, um, the storyline, quality of that film. Yep. Then I guess with designers, for me, it's always Yoji Amiyoto and Izzy Miyake that I think of. Izzy Miyake was one of the designers that I would go and sit, um, I would go and watch at Fashion Week in Paris. They were one of the brands that quite early on kind of was offering me front row tickets and stuff. And they did these beautiful shows. I don't know, Hannah, if you ever went to see any of them where they kind of, there'd always be like a performance element to them. Mm, wow. One that I saw had kind of this beautiful light show, kind of like a laser light show, which, you know, kind of eight years ago was quite advanced now it's more of a common thing but then it was really quite pioneering then there was another one I went to where there was like a choreographed dance and it just 
they it, there was this kind of beautiful artful feeling about it. it wasn't just about clothes it was about a whole kind of experience which was really beautiful and Yoji Yamamoto I think of as kind of the comme de garçon of of mm, Asia the mm. the Alexander McQueen that you know he's the kind of mm. pushing the boundaries um feeling and beautiful kind of sculptured tailoring mm. and it feels almost French because it's that kind of level of mm. curation. I sometimes wonder with fashion designers, I feel like particularly with Yoji and, and with Izzy Miyake, they, both of them, if they were Western designers, would have been hailed as these kind mm. of pioneers. And yeah, I feel like they almost get kind of fringed because they're not Western. Do you feel like that, Hannah? In the industry, like there's, it's almost like even though they've been as pioneering and as kind of creative and as much skill has gone into it, they don't really get the reputation that like Gautier or or McQueen has. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think partially too with Gautier and McQueen as well, it's so tied into the person of the designer. And I think with Isimiyaki, certainly if you're keeping your personal life private and you're not putting everything on the table as, say, a McQueen or a Gautier is and, you know, as these enfant terribles of the fashion world, you can't become a truly cultural figure, a true fashion icon in that sense because you're not being talked about outside of mm. the industry. I think that is the problem and there's nothing wrong with, you know, keeping so much of your life private. In fact, it's it's admirable in many ways, but it does prevent you from becoming, a, you know, a major figure like, say, for example, Alexander Wang has become. And I yeah. think part of Alexander Wang's real movement into the zeitgeist uh, is that he is really out there in the sense that he's a really public face of his brand. Yeah. His brands are synonymous with having a great time because he mm -hmm. always throws these huge, fabulous parties at the end yeah. of them where everything is just, you know, hedonism to the extreme, you know, fun fairs that he's built in mm -hmm. abandoned, you know, hangers on the yeah. Chelsea piers or whatever. And also he has managed to, you know, make or monetize his life, which is his friendships with the models that he dresses, yeah. his friendship with stylists like Vanessa Trainer, And that has been... And celebrities now And celebrities well. too, mm, of yeah. course. And, and I think what has managed to turn him into the figure that he is, is that he's been able to really, yeah, take, take his himself and, and marry it to the brand. I mean, it doesn't hurt that he's incredibly beautiful mm -hmm. and he's so tech and, oh and, and, you know, he's young and energetic. I don't know how if you've been to any of his shows. Yeah. He's a gorgeous um, guy and his shows and he kind of a... runs out at the end and there's so much energy and you're mm. kind of taken aback by the, pure yeah. kind of coolness of the whole thing i mean that that is it really he he is cool and he's a cool person and he's he's been able to you know suffuse his brand with that coolness and i i always think too the the image that i have of alexander wang is actually you know that beautiful niece of his who mm, was always yes. dressed in you know tiny little baby alexander yeah, wang yeah, with a so little cute. chanel bag and she would be sitting front row i mean that's you know northwest yeah. front row at the, at the yeezy shows you know but you know six years before she was doing that I yeah. mean that that is such a powerful image that I have from those shows and such a you know a, a testament to how he was able to basically you know make a brand really Alexander Wang you know make that name a brand um were there any other brands that you that you love I really love Jason Wu and I think there's something about the kind of Jason Wu Vera Wang um John and 
Simona Rocha. There's that there's this kind of feeling about that very sophisticated, often satin heavy fabric tailoring that it's incredibly technically difficult to do and they all do it so well, so beautifully and there's something about the minimalism without embellishment of that just form that they all do so beautifully that has stood out and you kind of unified them as a movement together. I mean, Vera Wang, how can you think of another dis- designer that has so embodied their genre Vera Wang is synonymous with bridal like that you can't imagine now getting married and not trying a Vera Wang dress if that's in your budget so I mean and yet we can't it's almost like she's so popular that you forget that she's Asian because she's she's just her own brand and in and of itself Um, and I think that's really interesting for somebody who doesn't really necessarily represent visually like Wang does. Alexander Wang represents his brand perfectly visually. Vera Wang, in the time that she started, probably didn't. She was mostly selling to white women, and yet she's completely created this beautiful brand around herself. She is so famous. Her her personality, her look is very famous now. That beautiful long hair. The poker straight. Poker straight mm, long yeah. hair, the kind of minimalism, the all, it's almost like the contradiction of the darkness of her hair and the white of all of the clothes. You know, how many people have seen those editorials? And that's amazing. I feel like she broke through a glass ceiling at that time. Definitely. I want to talk a little bit about models too because I think having these fantastic designers backstage making clothes is one thing but then also having models on the catwalk who a representation is important too. I'll never forget Victoria's Secret showed in China last year and a colleague of mine who's Australian said oh how amazing that they're going to have you know more Chinese models walking in the Victoria's Secret show than any ever before and I said that is that is amazing how many are they having and she said six. Six out of 65 models, so not even 10%. I think we're all shaking our head in unison right now. Not even 10%. And the show was actually in China, so it wasn't a question of being able to have the models there. You know, the models were in China because the show was in China, therefore they were living there. Korean models as well? I think the, the six was in total of Asian descent. And I, you're the person that told me that, that some of the other models they originally cast for that show, um, they couldn't get visas. Right, so they had mm. to add six New or seven models, models right. at last minute and only one of those was an Asian girl. Like, the rest, surely it would just make sense to add more Asian girls at that point. It would, it really would. And so I, I, I felt a bit frustrated by that and that goes to show you how differently people see representation when it doesn't expressly impact them. them. That was the kind of the first moment that I had that I was like, you are actually seeing this piece of news in a completely different way to how I'm seeing it. So in that spirit, let's celebrate the models a little bit. So I love, I love Lou Wen. I, I just think she's just the most beautiful woman. I was really excited when Lou Wen signed as the new face of Chanel Beauty and she they only really have three faces Chanel and so the fact that they've chosen to make one of them Chinese um, is so exciting to me. She's incredibly beautiful um, and you know that goes without saying she's a great representation of Chanel as a brand. I think Chanel has had for a French fashion house, a very global outlook from a long time. Certainly, they're the longest relationship I've had in the fashion industry. And they picked me up very early in my career. And I think that they've always understood the power of the Asian market, of Asian women, the beauty of them. It's never, I've never seen it as um, 
a separated thing for them. They've always included um, kind of the Hong Kong glitterati in their shows just as much as they would the European. And I think the, the signing of her for that new beauty stage was just so, so exciting. It's, it was all with the Le Beige campaign. Have you seen it? And it's mm. so, so pretty. And her skin is so beautiful in it. And I thought it was really wonderful. Um, I really like Sun Fei Fei. Or the other way around, Fei Fei Sun. Mm. Um, I first met her in one of the small designer shows in London. It was backstage. I was shooting behind the scenes. She was the only Asian girl walking down the catwalk. And I was like, wow, who is this beautiful girl? Like tall, slim, black hair, flawless skin. I was like, gosh, this girl, she's going to be big and major. Don't you think there's something about a lot of the big Asian models that their skin and hair is so exceptional? And I think a lot of the Western models, they've been messed Mm. with so much. Their hair has been cut, it's been dyed, it's been whatever. Somehow the Asian girls get away with it not being touched quite as much. And as a consequence, they look so healthy and radiant Mm. and their skin has got that really perfect porcelain, poreless texture. It's like glass skin, isn't it? Glass skin, naturally glass skin. I want to take a moment to mention my beloved Alexa Chung. (laughs) Always got to get in there somewhere. You're both going to laugh at me as you (laughs) just did. But, you know, for me, Alexa Chung was so important because I never saw anyone that looks like me in, in magazines, in television, on, you know, books, on the billboards, never. And then... I remember going into a newsagent and seeing an LUK with Alexa Chung on the cover. I had no idea who she was. You know, she wasn't famous in Australia. Like right. she was here, obviously, on television. Yeah. And I picked it up purely because I wondered who this person was who sort of had hair like mine and complexion like mine and a face like mine without knowing anything about her. And then since that moment, I've been obsessed with her. And I think it when you never see yourself represented, you can fixate on the person that does actually embody that representation, which is what I have definitely done in the past. And I've like followed her career. I have copied Mm. her style. I have tried to do the thing that she does with her winged eyeliner. I have bought things because she's bought them. I have bought things from her label because she has a label. Therefore I must support her business ventures. I have (laughs) bought into the brands that she is the face of because, well, you know, she's the face of them. So they must be good. I do have the Supergirl um, collab trainers. The ICO collaboration that she did as well. Definitely bought into that. I think, I think I just, I just want her to succeed because she's such a important visual, visual representation of Eurasian women. And I'm so invested in her success because I, she is such a good representation. I think you almost got a more curated version of Alexa Chung because you didn't grow up in the UK with her on T4 and like, mm. right, me and Kit grew up with her like doing the music video intros and all of that kind of stuff. And so she didn't really have the kind of high fashion image that she has mm. now. This podcast would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about how Asian men and women have helped shape the blogging world. And that's mostly because I'm sitting across from one of them right now, (laughs) Peony. (laughs) Peony, you know, was one of the first bloggers like Susie Bubble, Shinny from Park and Cube, Brian Boy, Tommy Ton, Rumi from Fashion Toast, uh, my fellow Australian Nicole Warren of Gary Pepper Girl, who had a huge impact on the blogging world and were really instrumental in representing Asian faces in the fashion industry when they really hadn't been represented 
particularly in magazines before. I mean, Penny, you lived this. This is your life. So (laughs) what can you share? Um, I mean, I think I've been blogging for coming up to 10 years and I think I'm at like nine, nine years maybe now. And, um, I, I definitely wasn't in the first, first wave that Susie was in. I was in the wave after that wave two, I guess, of bloggers. And, um, I think the reason that it was so powerful at that time was that Asian women were so underrepresented in pop culture. They were so underrepresented as we've talked about already in movies and, and kind of television and the online space was the perfect place to take, take over that minority and, and, and be together kind of thing. And so a lot of the original girls that were very successful blogging were of Asian descent in some way. They were mixed race in some way, or they there were lots that were kind of in some way Japanese. Nicole is in some way Korean, um, as is Shinny. So we kind of represented something that wasn't in magazines. Like you were saying, you never saw anyone on mm. magazines that was Asian before. I didn't either. And it was kind of these are the girls that look like me, that I can wear clothes like them, it'll look okay on me, these colours will look okay with me. And I think we tapped into that audience. And I think when it became more successful on street style and stuff and you know some of the bigger photographers like Philo and Tommy Tom were Mm. Asian as well, I think there was a great feeling of kind of change and sisterhood and friendship and that we were all supporting each other. We were all representing this new space together and it was a very inclusive open space which sadly I don't feel blogging is anymore. I think we've moved towards a much more generic um, in the way that magazines had kind of Western perception of women on online, which is really sad to me because it wasn't the case in the beginning. It was all about difference at the beginning. It was all about being unique and special and different. And we all had very strong identities. You know, Shinny was very much the kind of edgy creative. Nicole was the beautiful, whimsical one. I was the street style girl. Like everyone had their little area and we all had a huge amount of love and respect for each other which I think we do like a lot Mm -hmm. of those friendships have endured and and we still see each other a lot but I think blogging was a a wonderful space to speak to other Asian women and we hadn't had that opportunity before so I met Kit because she was one of uh, the original street styles photographers. So she was knocking around Fashion Week with me back in the day when Hannah was Hannah was there in the ballet pumps, freezing <laughs> her toes off. Um, so Kit, you were you were one of the people kind of choosing who who got the voice pieces in those days. I mean, I started blogging um, in two thousand and eight. So yeah, maybe the second wave of um street style bloggers out there um yeah so the first two years I you know I shoot street style in Brick Lane or West London South London North London but that fashion week is a very totally different atmosphere (laughs) I mean it is now it also was very different back in the day I know I I only remember Susie Lau back then because I so that's style bubble for anyone yes uh Susie Lau from style bubble I recently photographed Susie like a couple weeks ago I mean she, she sort of like lost touch with the old Susie bubble because now she's been wearing something chic and trendy fashion so she wore this um Australian um, brand um dress it's called I makes the gram I don't know from Rachel Burke 
Have you heard of Rachel Berg? I don't know that brand, but it looks like fun. So she <laughs> wore, I mean, it's literally a Christmas tree tinsel dress. Yeah, she wore like a tinsel dress, like different And that's outfits. old school, Susie, because she was always very famous for like very bright, colour. vibrant colour pattern. Yeah, mixing. she still has this cheery yeah. vibe and the fun side of her. Um, I almost feel like she's like the Bjork of, yeah. of fashion blogging. She has such a distinct aesthetic and she's... She's a real, I feel like she's a real feminist in what she wears. She's never sexualized by what she wears. It's all about her creative identity and, mm. and who she wants to represent. And I think that's awesome. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the traditional dress of our ancestors. I've only ever worn a Chongsam, which is the patterned silk dress with the slanted collar and the buttons that go up and down, once in my life. It was when I was a very cute five-year-old to perform a piece of Chinese poetry in a competition. Do we have a photo? I can dig one up when I'm back in Australia so that photo we can put it on, on Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I won third prize. Oh, wow. My picture was in the Chinese newspaper in Sydney. It was a very proud moment for me. <laughs> uh, Kit, what has your experience with traditional clothing been? Um, the first time I worn a traditional-ish um, Chinese clothing, um, my mom made it because she was a seamstress at the time. Um, I was at a Chinese school. Um, I, I took up dancing, <laughs> Chinese dancing, and they wanted some costumes to, you know, for us to wear in Chinatown or community centre. So my mom made this. Oh, good, this uh, We will load the photos I we're looking at on Instagram. <laughs> um, this pink oh silk long sleeve top and trousers with slanted, um, like, pop. Oh my god, you look exactly the same. That's what I said. Doesn't she literally look exactly the same, Kit? You've not yes, aged the picture, a day. we all have like blunt fringe oh my god, and straight they're, hair. Guys, they're wearing matching polka dot pink socks to go with the look. <laughs> it's millennial pink. It's very trendy. Your mum was way ahead That's of the time. That's in the 90s. It's like glossy. That's what I'm saying. It's like way ahead of its time. So a mutual friend of all of ours, Frances, she is Till Frances on Instagram. She quite often wears the little jackets, um in a kind of Chongsan print or she wears like Chinese fabrics as a little skirt or whatever and, and she looks, looks so cute mm, right? amazing and she's very fair she's kind of almost Swedish looking with blonde hair and blue eyes and it looks amazing on her it's not fair <laughs> it's not fair <laughs> if we can persuade her into giving us a picture we will show you a picture on Instagram too <laughs> So I quite often get asked um, on like Instagram or on my site about like what to wear for specific events or, um, you know, what colors are going to be good on someone or what they should wear to work and stuff. And quite a lot of my followers are of Asian descent in some way or another. And I think there are some colors that definitely suit like an Asian coloring more than others. What are your favorite colors to work it? Um, I like red. I like red too. Red's I the common denominator. <laughs> but it's very bridal, isn't it? Yeah, so but like it looks Chinese good. Bridal. It looks I, good. I remember I wore a red dress in Hong Kong in the village. I was waiting for a bus and my grandma would say, oh, uh, are you getting married, kid? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just wearing a red dress. But don't you think red lipstick also suits oh, don't Asian know women why. a lot? Yeah. I mean, um, black eyeliner, Yeah. red lipstick. Yeah, works. Mm. That whole kind of 1940s genre mm. of, of makeup and clothing, I think, really suits Asian women. Mm. What do you like to wear, Hannah? I like green. Um, 
yeah, I really like green, like all spectrum of green. So the kind of minty sorbet, pistachio <laughs> colors, but I also really like dark sort of emerald bottle green. I think those are nice colors because I'm a tiny bit darker than both of you. So yeah. Um, green looks nice on me although I have a friend of mine who's similar skin tone to me who thinks that green makes her look like a tree too much much brown and green together I don't care I still like it um yeah that would be my that would be my thing although at the moment I'm sort of getting interested and intrigued by yellow so I think yellow is a really good color to talk about because yellow can look incredible um and it can look beautiful on Asian skin tone but it can also look disgusting if you get the wrong color because yellow is almost like a nude for an Asian skin tone I was neutral I was going to say that is exactly (laughs) the problem that I had because I think for a long time I have yellow in my skin I thought I can't wear yellow because it's too much yellow and then I saw Alexa Chung in a yellow dress oh, and that babe <laughs> my favorite but we do have Alexa and I do have sort of like a similar skin tone. I would say she's a little bit fairer than she's you. a tiny bit fairer than me but it give me, gave me hope seeing her in this yellow dress <laughs> that I could wear that kind of particular shade of yellow which was lemony Ooh, kind of a, it's a bit too harsh I think it's all about the tone with green yeah. and with yellow there are definitely shades that don't suit I think if you are anywhere in that kind of coloring box shade range I know that sounds Mm. weird but if you think about like uh, coloring pencils and the vibrancy of those colors a green in that color or a yellow in that color is not going to suit you you need to think about a shade that's more complex than a coloring box color so if you think about an emerald green and much richer color or a lemon zesty yellow which is a much lighter kind of canary white based yellow or you go down a much more rich kind of custardy yellow just stay away from that very color blocking green and yellow I think those shades don't Mm. work I also think mustard is not a good look I've tried because I think in theory that should be a color I like you know it's kind of you know it's the it's the neutral of the color world and I love neutrals but I just I just kind of I think it's hard on our skin too. Yeah. I think it's the hint of brown and yellow and together. I noticed a lot of Chinese no. girls love to wear mustard and it is not it just doesn't Mm-mm. suit our skin tone it's Mm-mm. I would not recommend it going down that shade. it kind of drains the face totally I think with neutrals you need to go like there's so much variation in, mm-hmm. in color palette of a neutral like you can have a slightly pink tan or a slightly yellow tan or I always take them to my face and to the sunlight and then look in a mirror Mm. at the sunlight because that's a better reflection of your skin against that shade because sometimes it can be such a subtle difference between that neutral making you look incredible or looking disgusting. Yeah, Penny, you've always been a big inspiration for me because you wear a lot of white. And for a long time, I didn't wear a lot of white. <laughs> Mostly because I was worried about spilling something. <laughs> but also because I was like, oh, I don't know if I can wear white. It's so too harsh. But I can't wear because white. Because you have, uh, again, a similar sort of skin tone to me. I'm yeah. a bit darker than you. But but seeing it on you, I realized that I could wear white. I just would have to be careful about drinking coffee or red wine. <laughs> you but you um, you definitely like opened me up to the, the wide, wonderful world of... Of, of white clothing. <laughs> I love, I think I was always famous for wearing white shirts back in the day and I do love white in general and my wedding dress was true white which is quite unusual, very few people can wear true white and it's all to do with our mixed race colouring so I 100% think both of you would be able to wear true white as well and it I love white. I think it's a great colour. I actually find it quite challenging to go to evening things or like wedding things and not wear white because obviously in the West you can't really wear white to someone else's wedding. So many of my evening dresses are white because I love that colour and it looks great on our skin tone. 
I actually had to be quite careful in the lead up to my wedding to not get too tanned because <laughs> the white was so white that it made my skin look darker. And if I was too tanned, I, I, it didn't look nice. The, con- the contrast was too great. And so even though that this time last year, I don't know if you guys remember, it was like a heat wave. I was literally wearing ankle like wrist <laughs> like literally onesies to keep myself from getting too dark because I tan very quickly you do too right Hannah yeah you're looking at me right now yeah. <laughs> you're looking at me right now after three weeks in Europe so um I'm pretty t- and we get the freckle as well we get that kind of Caucasian yes. freckle but Kit has freckles I've got too loads of freckles I mean I spend too much too much time in a f- in my grandma's farm <laughs> <laughs> not a good look but I, I'm learning to embrace my freckles. So, What boutique stores, retail experiences or brands would you guys recommend in Hong Kong, in Singapore, <sighs> in Sydney with an Asian brand? Any of those things? I think Shanghai Tang. I mean, if you want like non-traditional but sort of more modern Chinese clothing, go to Shanghai Tang. I mean, they have knitwear, they have silk shirts, dresses. Or if you want bridal, you can ask a tailor to make a bespoke um, bridal dress. They have everything yeah. there. It's really more of a concept store in a way yeah. because they also have homewares and oh yes, home beautiful wear. homewares, kids and, and wear beauty. as well. Mm. Lane Crawford, we mentioned, it's a department store in Hong Kong, and it is you know it's sort of Harvey Nichols esque, I guess. In it's a way. almost mm. like Harrods Harvey Nichols, right? Like blended together, right? It's kind of a little yeah. bit more bigger than Harvey Nicks. They have Harvey Nicks there too. Yeah, but the Harvey Nicks in in Hong Kong is small Yeah, mm-hmm. compared to the one here. I also really love Joyce. Joyce is great. Joyce and is IT, great which is the younger, kind of like cool sister mm-hmm. to Joyce, is just a store that I'm not cool enough to go into. <laughs> and I frequently worry about that. I love the beauty departments. They have all the products that I really like, especially products from Japan and Korea. Totally products you won't find in Europe and US as There's well. There's also a lot of tailors that I'm obsessed with in Asia. I have a lot of clothes made when I go. I really love tailoring in general, so I have a lot of tailoring done. When I'm in Hong Kong, I use one called William Yu. Do you have a tailor that you really like, you guys, in Hong Kong or No Singapore? idea about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Kit's a great seamstress all of her own. Thank you for listening to our third episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to leave us a review or rating, we would love that. It helps others find us and it gives us a little boost in the charts. In between episodes, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at three, the number three, Dumplings Pod. We have to say a big thank you to Badline Studios for making our super cute artwork and also to our producer, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Thanks Ryan. We'll see you next week with another episode in our series. Until then, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.